Gentlemen, Betazoids, Chickens and Things, to episode 91 of the Muppet Trick Podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what the hell are those, Steve? That's the Muppets and Star Trek. We've been doing one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek The Animated Series. And tonight we're covering The Muppet Show with special guest star Christopher Reeve and Star Trek Animated Series episode, The Terratin Incident. Before we get into that weird-sounding episode, (laughs) who the hell is this Christopher Reeve guy, Steve? Well, Christopher Reeve was an American actor who is most known for for playing Superman in the highly successful uh, films of the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, Unfortunately, in 1995, during a horse-riding incident, he broke his neck and he ended up as a quadriplegic. While he did have a few minor appearances after that point, they were far and few. Uh, one of the more notable of which was a two-episode arc on the Superman-inspired television show Smallville. Uh, he passed away in 2004. What does our audience know him from? Well, if Michael Keaton is Batman, Christopher Reeve is Superman. Of that generation, for sure. <laughs> like, in my mind, he is still the definitive Superman. His face does come up in my head when I think Superman, because for right, years, exactly. he I was mean, it. Like, Dean Kane was a shy imitation. Name one other Superman that has had three and a half successful films. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I also remember him from my childhood. My mom was obsessed with a movie called um, Somewhere in Time, which I think is based off a book. But okay. Basically, it's where he uh, sees a picture of a woman, Christopher Reeve's character, from back in like the 1800s, but he finds out this way to time travel by going to this closet and going back to the 1800s to find her so that he can fall in love. Um, it was interesting, wow. but it was super romantic if and cheesy. anything was going to make man invent time travel, it was to go back in time and hook up. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's a good flick. So people check it out. What's he up to this week on The Muppet Show? Well, the backstage plot is basically all about how uh, Piggy is just obsessed with Christopher Reeve. Uh, Kermit is thrown to the wayside. Later, it's revealed that she's got like a Reeve shrine in her dressing room with Superman's. And she does eventually go after Christopher in his own dressing room. And he tries to assure her that he isn't Superman, but then he just breaks everything with seeming super strength. Um, Kermit does ask Christopher Reeve to play Hamlet. He hops into a conveniently placed phone booth and instantly costume changes. Sam is later outraged by the show just in, in general. Floyd Pepper begins to play Sam's song. He is joined by Janice and a bevy of backstage characters, including the band leader, Nigel, who whistles extraordinarily in a one of those sweet, rare backstage musical numbers. Mm-hmm. On stage this week, Kermit introduces Christopher Reeve, but first we get some frogs in the swamp. Kermit joins them for Disco Frog. It's an upbeat number as the frogs are tormented by an alligator and Kermit Disco dances. Gonzo pokes his head out to look for Kermit. He can't go on because he sprained his nose, so he can't do Hamlet. <laughs> Kermit tells the audience, filling in will be Christopher Reeve. He, uh, Christopher Reeve starts the soliloquy from Hamlet. Fozzie tries to help him with his lines. Beauregard brings out a skull 
for the Alas Poor Yurik speech, which is done by a different character in a different part of the show. Yeah. Uh, the skull begins to sass Christopher, and the whole thing devolves. Link Hogthrob gets involved, and then we get into the musical number, Brush Up Your Shakespeare. Up next, we get a Muppet News flash. A dangerous sheep has escaped, and it attacks the newsman. Following this, we get Veterinarian's Hospital, where Dr. Bob is on the table. Christopher is the doctor this week, and Piggy flirts shamelessly. Reeves really hams it up. <laughs> yes. Uh, Fozzie then takes to the piano. Oddly enough, he performs the Toreador song. You'll recognize it when you hear it. He's joined by a matador until a bull stampedes them off. We take a quick visit to Muppet Labs. They bring in a cow to test the heated milk machine. It ends up attached to Beaker's head. It blows up, but he ends up with some beautiful curls. <laughs> Kerbin introduces Miss Piggy, who performs Never Before or Never Begin, or at least she begins to, uh, made famous in the Muppet movie. She uh, crushes Rolf's hand by accident, and Christopher has to gum and play the piano for her. Uh, he does another phone booth change into a tux, and he hits the stage. The song changes from East of the Sun and West of the Moon, with Piggy still swooning over Christopher Reeve. Piggy thinks he's going to fly her away, but she's just a little too heavy. Hmm. Kermit thanks Christopher Reeve one last time. Christopher makes one more fat joke about Miss Piggy. She comes up to chop him and hurts her hand because he is the man of steel. And that is what we call the Muppet Show. Damn right. So, Jarm, what did you think of this week's episode with Christopher Reeve? Uh, I think he was just absolutely charming and sweet. And seems like he, even though he's like six foot four, I think, he just seems like a little... Te little teddy bear, you know, like he just seemed like he loved being there with the Muppets. He seemed very happy, a little awkward at times, but that kind of added to his charm a bit. Um, and they really played to his strengths. Like as she's, he's an actor and he's, but he can sing a little, he's not a great singer, but he can sing, he can stay on key. And he's, it was a cute little performances. He did brush up her Shakespeare and the Miss Piggy number, like you said, um, and doing some hammy Shakespeare. And sometimes he went a little too over the top with the weird faces he made in veterinarian's hospital. Like, I was like, what is he doing? He's like acting like a Muppet, I guess, but it was strange. Yeah. His like his hamming it up laugh face where he like turned away from the camera and goes, <laughs> yeah. Kind of like pants, like a dog was like, oh, okay. It was that's a, little, a Muppety thing. It was Muppety. I guess it was a little strange, but it was interesting. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I love the Superman movie growing up, all of his movies. And so I like seeing him doing the Superman jokes and stuff. And, breaking things and but also i love uh professor honeydew falling in love with beaker once his hair changes that was great he's like you look so beautiful yeah he like caresses him puts his arm around him it was interesting all right, all right. maybe but beaker's a girl maybe, maybe this whole time we've never known this whole time or we've they're just never known two boys that have you know bunked together you know who knows I guess. But I mean, you know, I think either way, it's a big win for equality. <laughs> Absolutely. Because that's either, you know, a gay couple on television or another women in the sciences. Absolutely. More women in STEM. Come on, let's do it. Win-win. Um, but yeah, plenty of other good sketches and musical numbers. Um, like, I love the Disco Frog. That was a great number. Um, and so, yeah, this is definitely one of the better episodes of the season for me so far. I don't know about you. What do you think? I've got to agree. Christopher Reeve was a good host. He did a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. which was good in that, like, he didn't just, we've seen a lot of celebrities, I feel like this season specifically, who just do their shtick. And they don't even change costume once, and he changed, like, 14 times. <laughs> so, yeah, he, like, admits he's Superman, he plays up to that, they get that out of the way, but then, you're right, he gets to sing, he gets to play the piano, he gets to ham it up in a comedy sketch. Yeah, uh, he really gets to stretch and do a lot, and does a lot more than some other 
uh, hosts. If anything, I feel like the Muppets fell a little short this week. <laughs> That's almost true. <laughs> Um, you know, Bunsen Honeydew Muppet Labs was great, but like the news anchor was a little bit underwhelming. I wish Brush Up Your Shakespeare could have been a little bit bigger in some way, and I'm not even sure how. Even the backstage Sam the Eagle number, Sam's song just felt weird and kind of underwhelming. I could see that. I guess they put out through uh, all their eggs in the disco frog basket. Yes, they definitely did. <laughs> um so I, I think great host, really stretched, got to show a lot, really clearly had fun with the Muppets, connected well with the Muppets. Mm-hmm. If anything, maybe the Muppets were a little low energy for Christopher Reeve. That's true. They didn't match his energy. this time Maybe around. they were expecting a Florence Henderson. And they got a Christopher Reeve, you know? <laughs> you never want to make that mistake. <laughs> That's right. You never want to make a Florence Henderson. Never go full Florence Henderson. <laughs> never go full Florence Henderson. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so music this week. Boy, howdy. Disco Frog. This is written by Joe Raposo, longtime Muppet collaborator, and he's the writer of C is for Cookie and the Sesame Street theme. Nice. Brush up your Shakespeare. This is from the musical Kiss Me Kate, written by Cole Porter. While Cole Porter did have many Broadway successes, this is Kiss Me Kate is the only musical that ran for a thousand shows on Broadway. Wow. Uh, Sam's song written by. That can't be right, Steve. Quadling <laughs> and Elliot. There's no way. <laughs> I'm just going to go with it because I don't want to look it up. Quadling and Elliot. John Elliot, Walt Disney's Toot Whistle Plunk and Boom. He was the writer of the music for that, and it won the 1953 Oscar for Best Short Animated Feature. Hmm. Toot Whistle Plunk and Boom. <laughs> the Tori Adder song, it's actually named is Votre Toast. Je peux vous le rendre. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, from, the, from the musical Carmen, the French opera. Uh, Roger Hammerstein adapted this song as part of his Carmen adaptation, Carmen Jones, which I didn't even know that Hammerstein did a Carmen adaptation. Did I. And in that musical, the song was titled Stand Up and Fight. <laughs> uh, East of the Sun and West of the Moon, written by uh, Bowman and a Princeton undergrad in 1934. This has become a signature song for the Princeton Tiger Tones, Ooh. one of Princeton's premier and oldest enduring acapella groups. Nerds. <laughs> yes, just a different kind of nerd. It was a nice duet, though. Miss Peggy and Chris Reed, though. That was nice. So, Jarman, what did you think uh, was this week's best Muppeteering moment? I don't know how we say anything else besides Disco Frog, man. That was him jumping and dancing with pe- people with the black screen in the back. You kind of see them in the background controlling Kermit, jumping on the leap pads. And like the the meanwhile, there's real water somewhere in there, and an alligator swimming around, and tons of little frogs. It was just a lot going on. Huge set. I mean, it was impressive. I don't know. I'm gonna for the first time ever. I'm kind of gonna give like a negative puppeteering moment. Ooh. I thought Disco Frog was really distracting. Like the the effect they used when it looked good, it looked really good. But there were far. Far too many times where I could see like full outlines of performers. That's true. I kind of blame the and special effects on top of that. For the that, visuals though. like clipping over top of each other as they were clearly matted in some way. It's almost like I don't blame the Muppeteers for that, though. More than right. Other. But it was one of those things where I was like, this was not successful. That's true. This I, is the biggest number. And this was not successful. That's a good I don't point. Don't say that that often. Yeah. Um, Because you're right. When it looked good, it looked really, really good. But there were so many times I was like, oh, my God, I can see all four performers right now. (laughs) That's not a good thing. What is going on? (laughs) Oh, man. 
So I guess best worst Muppeteering moment goes also to Disco. Oh, so you're giving it to both, basically. (laughs) Kind of, yeah. Like highs and lows all in one number. Fair. Totally fair. So, German, what happened on this week's episode of Star Trek, the animated series? We have the Terratin incident. Now, the Enterprise is being is observing a burnt out supernova when they hear a strange message being transmitted by a 200 year old Earth code. So they trace the signal to a nearby planet that seems to be under volcanic distress of some sort. But just then they are hit by some kind of energy beam that destroys their dilithium crystals and causes the whole crew to shrink. Oh, no. Bones figures out that eventually that they will shrink so small that they won't be able to operate the ship anymore because they won't be strong enough to push the buttons and stuff. And they'll be marooned in this part of space. Uh, But before time runs out, Kirk decides to beam himself down to the volcanically erupting planet and finds that the transporter reverts him back to his original size. It has a memory of his pattern buffer and all that jazz. But on the planet, he finds what appears to be a miniature city. And he beams back to the ship, because he was on a timer to beam back, and he finds now that the crew are already all too tiny to operate the ship, but also that the bridge crew, specifically, was beamed down by the miniature city down to their planet and their city. So Kirk makes contact with the leader of their tiny city, and finds out that it's their city's called Terratin. It's a long-lost Earth colony that was actually called Terra-10, and the inhabitants of the colony mutated over time because of the nearby supernova of this planet, and they just adjusted to life as tiny people. Uh, but the people of the tiny city were desperate to get off this planet because it was it's just being destroyed right now by the volcanic eruptions. But they couldn't communicate normally because of the size difference. So they used their shrink ray so they could have a dialogue with the Enterprise. And the leader of the Terratin uh, colony apologizes to Kirk for causing the disturbance. And the crew are beamed back and to the regular size. But to save the Terratin people, Kirk has the whole miniature city itself beamed onto the Enterprise so they can move them to a new safe planet. And everything turns out well in the end. So, Steve, what do you think of this episode? All right. So some things I liked. Um, this had a slower burn than some of the other episodes. It did. And I liked that. Oh. They they actually receive the transmission. They decide to investigate. They go to a second location. And all these things are not really typical of animated series. Most of the time, animated series starts with, like, we received a communication. They literally outline exactly what's happened and they pull up to the second location. Right. <laughs> like as the episode starts. So they actually, it just, this felt more like an original series episode in many ways. Um, I love the idea of the shrinking crew. Um, they didn't always keep the scale real consistently. No. Because <laughs> there were times where they're clearly reusing, reusing cells, and so the size would switch occasionally, or they didn't implement the background correctly. But overall, I really liked the idea and the concept and the, the sort of struggles it created for the crew. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a great original concept, at least for Star Trek. Uh, dislikes? I didn't have any major issues with this episode. Wow. This might be my favorite one of the animated series so far. Oh, wow, I'm impressed. It's like Star Trekky. There's investigation. The bad guy ends up not being a bad guy. They end up helping somebody. It's sciencey at times. There's it not really a, has kind of all the hallmarks of a good episode. There's no uh, evil godlike space race again, <laughs> right? Or you initially you think there is, and they end up just being desperate people. Like that was good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, literally, I did not put anything under my dislikes column because Impressive. I really didn't have any major issues with this episode. 
it's funny because the, the part that you liked that there was felt like a slower burn. I feel like some parts of this dragged out a bit and it felt like it moved a little slower than other episodes. I of the original of the of the animated series we've watched because they seem like to go so fast. But I did like that it was like a quintessential sci-fi type of story, you know, shrinking to be able to communicate with another race or group of people because they can't understand you until you shrink too. And that's very sci-fi and that kind of thing. But did one thing that stuck out to me was Nurse Chapel at one point gets shrunk down and falls into like a fish tank. And they just reuse her two lines of help. And she goes, help, 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 help. And they use the same over and over and over again. I'm like, she's not even like seeming sounding that concerned. But it was a really bad line read. And they just had to repeat it over and over again because they only got her saying it twice. And it was so bad. That really stood out. Some poor sound guy was like, this is going to be awful. <laughs> Just push the two buttons. Help, 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 help. help. <laughs> so uh, for me, it was actually kind of a middling episode. I thought the other ones were more interesting and more locales and things going on. But I like the fact that you it's your favorite so far. That's great. <laughs> yeah, no, truly. I, I don't. If you look at my notes on, on our shared thing, I have nothing under dislikes. I like it. Very nice. Well, we got a little bit of trivia for this. There's always a little bit less of trivia for these animated series episodes. But uh, the idea of some of the crew being miniaturized by a form of scientific phenomenon was used again later on in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, One Little Ship, which we'll eventually get to. Uh, First appearance of sensitive animals, the semi-transparent gossamer mice and the brightly glowing halo fish that they kept in sickbay were used to monitor environmental changes much like canaries used in coal mines back in the day. So that was the first time we've seen that on the Enterprise as being a mm. regular thing that just pretending was always there. <laughs> but we've never seen that before. Um, the episode's writer, Paul Schneider, previously wrote two Star Trek original series episodes, Balance of Terror and The Squire of Gothos. Oh, uh, Squire of Gothos is a classic. Exactly. Balance of Terror is really good, too. That's the big uh, uh, Romulan one, I believe. Oh, yeah. Uh, and according to Schneider, the Terrigen incident was based on a one-paragraph story idea that Gene Roddenberry had. Um, he says, I took it there with Dorothy Fontana, who was the DC Fontana, one of the big writers, and the show's associate producer both loved it. And he said, I love the concept of doing something related to Gulliver's Travels. Uh, he said, I enjoyed that as well as watching the process of animation develop. Overall, I thought the episode turned out rather well. I think he's correct. And does have a very, he even says that Lily put in people at the end of the episode yeah lilliputian lilliputian people yeah exactly so they really going heavy on that gulliver's travels thing (laughs) but steve what are our trek muppet connections this time around if there are any well both christopher reeve and william shatner were horse enthusiasts Mm -hmm. in 1995 after reeve's accident uh shatner was tapped to complete the narration for a horse riding safety video that Reeve had started. Oh, that's awkward. Oh, <laughs> oh God. yikes. Uh, but apparently they were friends from horse events. Gotcha. Uh, Christopher Reeve was in the 1995 Village of the Damned. He starred opposite of Kirstie Alley, who was in Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and then Christopher Reeve, of course, worked on Superman 3 uh, across from Richard Pryor in 1983. Only a year before the, the, this episode was filmed, uh, he and Pryor, uh, uh, sorry, Pryor had a cameo appearance in the Muppet movie. Uh-huh. Pryor was also in Brewster's Millions, along with Stephen Collins, who played Decker in Star Trek, the original motion picture, and who was also accused of child molestation. Yes, <laughs> that is true. 
anytime he is the connection, I'm going to bring it up. You, we should. He shouldn't. It shouldn't I be forgotten. Am. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. So I'm not going to say he can't be a connection because he's had a wide and varied career. It just has also coincidentally involved accu- accusation of travelers. Wasn't he the dad on seventh heaven? He was. Yeah. He was the dad on Gross. seventh heaven. <laughs> Oh, but these are basically the same episode. I mean, come on. I mean, they basically, uh, they both involve quick changes in form. Christopher Reeve ducking down in the phone booth and changing costumes and Kirk being beamed back aboard the Enterprise to find himself all full size. Oh, very true. Uh, both episodes have little creatures causing havoc for the main cast. Uh, the rats on The Muppet Show and the little people on Star Trek. Nice. <laughs> Uh, both involve a sudden change in plans. Christopher Reeve doing Shakespeare because Gonzo broke his nose and the crew ditching their planetary scan to go check out a mysterious signal. Well done. Uh, both have an experiment that goes wrong, but then works out in the end. Uh, the little people on Territon shoot their shrinking ray at the Enterprise, causing lots of trouble, but eventually it works out for them. And Honeydew's cow milker machine uh, goes wrong <laughs> at first, but then makes him find love with uh, Beaker. The best part is that's like a real machine now. It's true. It really one of his it really few is. In, inventions he made that actually turned out to be a real thing. It's a real thing, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Ah, uh, uh, oh, I thought you had another one. No. Transporter malfunction. What is that? What's Transporter that? malfunction. <laughs> All right, so it's the part of the episode where we transport one character from one episode to the other, and vice versa. What you got for us, Steve? Muppets to Trek this week. I'm going to bring over the rats. To replace the Lilliputians, <laughs> shrinking everyone down to their size and demanding help. I like it. The rats were fun. Uh, from Muppets of Star Trek, I'm having Sandy Eagle take the place of the Terratin leader because they're both equally grumpy and crotchety. It'll <laughs> 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 it work really well. Uh, Trek to Muppets, I'm going to bring over the entire tiny crew and have them work as a team to play the piano for Piggy's final number. Jumping from key to key with all of their tiny might in coordination. <laughs> That's a lovely idea. That's a very Muppety sounding number, too. Uh, Star Trek to Muppets. I'm going to have Kirk take Christopher Reeve's place, which is funny because they're friends in real life, That the, you know, the actor, because it would be amazing to see Shatner do all the same skits that Reeves did in that show. That'd be just a oh, lot of Quick fun. changes in a phone booth and stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> and do it trying to do this talk singing, you know, instead. It'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> Brush up your Shakespeare. Start quoting him now. Uh, but that brings us to the end of episode 91 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest Linda Carter. And the animated series episode, The Time Trap. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.